There was a pastor that after a sermon he had many comments about how well he had done and how the sermon really spoke to them. And by the time he and his wife were headed home, he was feeling a little puffed up and he said to his wife, he said, I wonder how many really good preachers there are in the world. And she fired back, I think there's one less than you think there is. <laughs> no, Esther did not say that to me. But there's likely times that she should have. You know, we all need to learn humility. And as we come to this final chapter of 1 Peter, the theme that Peter closes his book on is humility. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so this morning I'm just going to go through the first several verses in this chapter just one by one and just talk about them. I give commentary. So he starts in 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 1. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. And so he begins by talking to the elders. And we have what we call mentoring elders in our church, but they fulfill a... A little different role than the elders that Peter is talking to. And so the closest we have is what we call our council members. And so if you're a council member, I'd just like you to stand up for a moment here. And just stay standing. So how many council members do we have here this morning? Okay. You, the council members, you are the leaders of our church. This is who Peter's talking to. And he says to you, shepherd those whom you lead, feed them, care for them, direct them, encourage them. This is what leaders do. Oversee them. Give direction to the church. Give direction to the physical needs of the church. Give oversight to the spiritual needs of the church. This is what leaders do. We'll let you be seated. We won't make you stand for the whole time that Peter's talking to you here. He goes on, he says, do this willingly. And this is where we need to be careful in choosing leaders. Churches are really good at twisting arms. If you don't do it, whatever it is they're asking you to do, the implication or it's outright sad, it won't happen. For example, if you don't teach, I've seen this done to Sunday school teachers so often, if you don't teach the Sunday school class, we won't have a class for that age group. If you don't let your name stand, the board is going to be short of members and it's not going to function well. If you don't let your name stand for remissions, the whole program will fall apart, or youth group, or whatever it is. And people are guilted into taking leadership positions. And generally, people who do not want to be in the position do not make good leaders in that position. In one church that we were in, a lady had taught Sunday school, a particular Sunday school class for years. And she wasn't a teacher. It was a struggle for her. She didn't want to do it. But year after year, she'd be told, if you don't do this, we won't have a class for that age group. And she would give in to the pressure and she'd teach. 
but her students were bored to death and didn't want to come to Sunday school. She was a good person in the wrong place. In the wrong place because she was guilted into it. God wants you as leaders to be willing to lead and that willingness should flow out of the knowledge this is who God has made me to be. This is the place where God wants me to serve. And God wants you to make a willing sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice that it takes to lead. And the sacrifice is usually not to add it to an already busy life. And so many people that take on leadership, that's what they do. The sacrifice is to drop other things so that you have the time to lead well and to learn to lead well. Over the years, I've started putting this question to people that are asked to take on leadership positions or other positions that require a lot. If you take on this new position, what are you going to drop that you're doing now? So do you have time? And so what Peter's talking about here is it's a, I want to do this because God has put it into my heart to want to. That's the attitude that he's asking of our leadership. He moves on and he says, Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Some people want to for the wrong reasons. They see leadership as a path towards money and power. And so they're coming from a worldly perspective. In the world, money and power is the essence of leadership. It's why they do it so often. They desire money and they desire power and they desire significance through that. And it's how you get things done in the world, through money and power. And it's often the abuse of power is how they get things done. Well, in our modern context, for most churches, money is not a motivation of why you would serve. For the most part, leaders are volunteers. They receive no money. So they're not in it for the money. But you might say, well, what about paid pastors? And seldom is there again is money the motivation of why they lead. For the education that they invest in, for the hours they serve, if they were to work in a secular job, they would make far more money. And so if money is your driving force, don't be a pastor. But there are situations where money is the driving force or a potential temptation. And there are pastors and leaders of very large church ministries that have come under criticism for the millions that they've taken in, the large salaries they take home, the private jets they own, the mansions they live in. But that's not the situation here in our church, so we won't dwell on that. But power is a different thing. If a person is power hungry, then a church is a great place to gain power. Because often power-hungry people are gifted people. They do well at what they do, and everyone sees that. Often they know how to manipulate others. They know how to build their own following. And of course, churches, being a volunteer organization, is usually short of volunteers. And so what do you do? They're willing, 
they desire it and you elevate them into leadership. And so Peter says, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so he gives the answer to this as he goes through it. Not because you must, but because you're willing. The willingness is the answer. Not greedy for money, but you're eager to serve. You can still be power hungry and do that. Not lording it over the others, but being an example to the flock. Power hungry people do not desire to be the example to the flock. You see, he says, willing, eager to serve. You're looking for in your leadership people that want to serve, not to be served. When you're looking for leaders, don't look at how popular the person is, how dynamic the person is, or how talented. Here's the question you need to ask. Is he or she a servant? Do they just get in there and serve, not looking for gain or recognition? Do they promote themselves or do they promote others above themselves? Do they build themselves up or do they build others up? Do they seek attention and glory or do they fade into the background as they try to build others up? Do they want and seek power or do they seek to be an example of Jesus to others? Do they seek others to follow them so that they have a group? Where they control things? Or do they seek to build followers of Jesus instead of followers of themselves? John the Baptist, one day his disciples came to him and they were complaining because this new preacher called Jesus was taking away John's disciples. The crowds were leaving John and they were starting to follow Jesus. And they didn't like that. And John's reply to them is, he must become greater and I must become less. That's the attitude that Peter's talking about here. When you look for leaders, look for those whose attitude is, Jesus must be greater and I must be less. Dawson Trotman, who's founder of the Navigators, whose ministry were worldwide he was visiting Taiwan one day uh, and while he was there he spent time with a Taiwanese pastor and uh, they would hike back into the mountains where there was no roads just trails and uh, they would spend time there teaching the Christians back in those villages and those trails were often wet and their shoes would be muddy when they had reached the village and later someone asked the pastor, he said, what do you remember most about Dawson Trotman? He's a famous guy. What do you remember most about him? And without hesitation, the pastor said, what I remember most about him is he would take my shoes and he'd clean them. That's the attitude to look for in your leaders. And it will save abusive leadership from rising to the top. Because when abusive leadership want, or abusive people want to rise to the top, they know how to get there. Look for that, uh, that humility in them. 
Now, Peter hasn't used the word humility yet. But everything that he is saying here is giving us a description of what humility looks like in leadership. So he goes on in verse 5, and he broadens his audience here, and he says, young men, in the same way, so everything I've said about the leadership, this applies to you. Be submissive to those who are older. He's actually talking to those who are potential leaders. You want to be a leader? Here's what you need to do. You need to learn submission before you learn to lead. And so in the same way, you need to have a heart of willingness. You need to have that servant's heart where you want to serve and build others up instead of elevate yourself. You need to have a life that's an example. And out of all of that, you need to have an attitude that's submissive to those who are older, the elders and the leaders. If you're not a leader yet, now's the time for you to be learning submission and humility. Because that's the base attitude that God is looking for in a leader. And as a church, if someone has not learned submission and humility yet, it's not yet time to elevate them to leadership. So Peter says, be submissive. It means to yield, to follow them, to learn from them. Let them direct you spiritually. It's the opposite of a proud spirit, the opposite of a rebellious spirit that demands its own way. Pride demands submission from others. Humility gives submission to others. And so Peter says, all of you clothe yourselves. So he's brought in his audience now to everyone. So no one is left out of this. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So none of you can sit back and say, well, I'm not a leader and God hasn't put it in my heart to be a leader, so this doesn't apply to me. He's including all of you there. And he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Literally wrap a cloth of humility around you. It's not talking about your clothes here but a cloth that you put on over your clothes. Today we call it the apron. And some translations will actually translate it. Put on the apron of humility. It's the same thing as Jesus. At the Last Supper, as he waited to see if the disciples would get up and do it, and none did, he got up and he put a towel around his waist. He used the towel as an apron. And in our modern culture here, we lose the sense of what Peter's trying to get through to us. We're not so class conscious as some societies. In so many societies, the rich, the powerful, those who made it in society, they did not wear an apron because an apron was the mark of a servant or the mark of a slave. And in many societies, actually, if you were a servant, you had to wear some kind of an apron or a, some type of uniform that signified where you fit into society. You were the servant. You were the low class. And so at the Last Supper, the disciples, they didn't want to pick up that mark of servanthood. No one there wanted to be the servant. They're each above it. They're self-centered. And so Jesus, waiting long enough to see if they would do it, he, the God of glory, stepped up and he put on the apron of servanthood. He put on that status symbol of a slave and washed their feet. 
And then he finished by saying, I want you to have the same attitude. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 2. He says, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who what? Being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant, of a slave. And he says, have the same attitude that he had. So this is what Peter's talking about when he says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Take up that identity in the church. Take up the identity of having the status of being a servant. It's who you are. I'm your servant. Many years ago, had a man come to see me. He was a Christian, been a Christian since his young adulthood. Walked away from God. Um, he was a leader, but he was an abusive leader through all those years and uh, had a very bad reputation. And one day he walked into the church. He, had, he burned his bridges with all the other churches and uh, with the community, and he walked in and he says, Don, do you believe God gives second chances? Yes, our God is a God of second chance. And he started coming, he joined our church. But one thing he said to me, he said, Don, never put me into the place of being a leadership. He said, in my selfishness, I desire it. And I abuse it. And I recognize it. He said, I need to learn to be a servant. And that's what he did in the church. He would take on picking up trash, emptying the trash cans and so on. Um, he was seeking to learn to be a servant. And that's what Peter's saying. Take the identity, the status of being a servant in the church. It's who I am. I'm a servant. Those are the ones you want to go to and choose your leaders from. Now this goes totally against our human nature. We tend to be like the disciples who want to be the most important or the first. We prefer to be served rather than serve. Elizabeth Elliot said, leaders are measured by how much they sacrifice, not by how much they gain. When the will of God cuts across the will of a person, someone has to die. Leaders are meant to be losers, losers of ourselves, losers of our rights. And then I like this, take note of it. The best way to find out whether you, you really have a servant's heart is to see what your reaction is when somebody treats you like one. I like that test. The best way to find out you have a servant's heart is to see what your reaction is when someone treats you like one. The picture you have there is the picture of Booker T. Washington. He was born into slavery. Uh, he was about nine years old after the Civil War when they came around and said, you're free. And his mom walked away from the farm where they were slaves. Uh, he had a hunger to be educated. And so after they're freed and she'd got a job in the town, uh, he came to her and he says, I want to go to school. She said, you can't go to school. We need your money. But he wanted it so badly, she made a deal with him. If you are at work at 4 a.m. in the morning and work until school starts, you can go to school. And he did that. Went right through school doing that. 
He went on and went to college where he excelled. When uh, the Tuskegee Institute was started and they were looking for a president to lead the new school, he was given the job. He led well, he became famous. Uh, he worked hard to better the condition of the ex-slaves of America. Uh, he came to know presidents, became uh, on the personal speaking level with them. He was friends of the rich and famous. Uh, he, in spite of his fame, though, he was humble. And one day when he was walking through an exclusive section of the town, he was stopped by a wealthy woman and she said, Hey, you come here. I'd like you to chop my firewood. And it was a very racist thing to do because she was assuming because of his skin color, he was a servant. And she could command him around. And he graciously went and uh, said, he just smiled, rolled up his sleeves, followed her, and he chopped her wood. When he was finished, he carried it into the house and uh, stacked them by the fireplace. But while he was working there, a girl recognized who he was, and after he was gone, she told the lady who uh, he was. And the next morning, the lady showed up, very embarrassed, to see him in his office. And she apologized uh, profusely to him, and he says, you know, it's perfectly all right, madam. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. They shook hands and uh, she assured him that his uh, gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to his heart, to her heart. She spent the rest of her life giving, she was wealthy, giving away her money to that institute. Also fundraising, she fundraised thousands of dollars for his work. When someone treats you like a servant, your response reveals your heart. This kind of humility means to have no bias towards yourself, but rather a bias towards serving others. Pride always has that selfish concern for self. Humility has an unselfish concern for others. Now you might be still asking the question, why should I become a slave, a servant to others? Peter gives the answer, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Amplified puts it, for God sets himself against the proud, the innocent, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful, and he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them, but gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. God opposes the proud. Those words should send shockwaves through us. The point is, if God is, if you're proud, God will make sure that he humbles you. If you're a believer here and you're sitting here as a proud person this morning, you're on a trajectory. And that is God working to humble you. It's a trajectory downward. And God is very good at the humbling business. He took Saul, who later became Paul, and he knocked him off his horse and blinded him. Jonah, he prepared a great fish who swallowed him. One pastor tells how as a young man he came to be tied first place with another man in a golf tournament. 
and he really wasn't a golfer and no one had expected him to do so well and his friends and his family were excited for him and they were cheering for him as he went into that last hole to and it was coming down to either one could win and by this time he was really wanting to win and he was just praying desperately god just help me i need you lord on this one and he made a perfect shot right down that fairway and his opponent same thing perfect shot right down the fairway second shot the other guy the ball went over the green into the rough and this young pastor was praying he said god i need you help me and he made another perfect shot and that ball just landed right beside the pin almost into the hole and all those friends kind of went crazy and he thought he had the game and it became too much for him he said after his i just swelled up with pride i can do this now all i have to do is that little short putt just put it into the hole there he said he made that little putt and he missed it and he tried again and again and he's right beside the hole and he said no matter what i did i could not get that ball in the hole the other guy First shot, he put it out onto the green, and the sec on his first putt, it's into the hole, won the game. And the pastor said afterwards, God has his ways of humbling us, doesn't he? Putting us into our place of opposing us. You know, it might be embarrassment. It might be suffering, as Peter talks about. It might be a loss of some time, of some kind. It might be trouble, it might be relational issues, it might be rejection on the list is endless. But God is in the position of humbling us. God is not content to let us continue in our pride. And he's so good at humbling us. As a young man, I bought a new Chev pickup. And there's always the pride of a young man in a new vehicle. And it wasn't like I thought it was the center of my life or anything, but... It was nice to take my girlfriend for rides in. And God taught me some lessons from that truck. Esther's already smiling about this one. First, he had my sister-in-law who borrowed it. She went off the road where they had dug a pipeline trench into the road and then they burrow under the road and trench out the other way. She went off the road right at that ditch and right into that ditch. Smashed up the front right corner tore the wheel and the A-frame right out of the truck, bent the frame, cracked the transmission, and three of the four rims were bent. That was mostly fixed. We went on our honeymoon. And while the truck was parked, a lady at highway speed ran right into the back. We only had one corner of the truck that hadn't been damaged the front left corner. We came back to Wainwright here, and it was the Dairy Queen at that time, and they had the window where you ordered, and uh, you had that shelf that went out, and the guy in a four-wheel drive truck in front of us, he had pulled up, but he pulled up too close, and she couldn't get that shelf out, so he just stuck it in reverse and stepped on it. <laughs> Guess where he hit? The only other corner that hadn't been damaged. You know, God was teaching me to hold loosely to the things of this life. What was my pride, he destroyed. And that's what Peter is saying. We have a choice. 
Humble yourself or God will humble you. So I've often wondered if maybe I had a little less pride and humbled myself, could have I saved the truck? <laughs> Jesus is telling us that if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for him, he says, you will find it. Same principle that Peter's going through. Peter says, if you give up your life, if you humble yourself, God is there to help you. He gives grace or favor, blessing to the humble. He favors the humble. And I need that reminder every day. There's grace when I humble myself. I need to be driven to his grace every day. And that's a good prayer for us to make. Lord, drive me to your grace today. So let's make this very simple. Are you proud? God is working against you. Are you humble? God is working for you. Which would you rather? Well, the answer is very simple, isn't it? Then why do we find it so hard to be humble? So Peter, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It's an action. You have to choose to do it. When we lived at Silver Valley, we got a Malamute uh, Coley Cross puppy. It's a cute, fluffy, white, golden puppy, but a ferocious puppy. And uh, the place we lived on had a little barn, and it was on skids, and uh, it had kind of sunk into the ground, and it had some holes where that puppy was just small enough he could crawl under there, but he'd get stuck under there, and for a long time he would howl and whine under there, but eventually he'd get out. <clears throat> But I envisioned him one day not getting out, and I'd have to jack up that barn to get him out of there. And so I decided I was going to block up all the holes uh, so he couldn't get under there. And so I was at the front where most of the holes were, and I was blocking them up, and he realized what I was doing, and he ran for the back. And I instantly realized what he was doing. And I ran for the back, and uh, I had rubber, tall rubber boots on, and it was a good thing because when I stuck my foot in that hole, that puppy just attacked me. The only thing he could reach was my boots. And I reached down to pick him up, and he just went for my hand. He bit it and drew blood. And holding, I just picked him up by the scruff of the neck, and I just held him there. And he just growled at me, his eyes spat fire, and twisted and turned trying to get at me. And I just held him until he just went quiet and still. And I put him down. And instantly he was in a rage again, and he just attacked my boots. And so I picked him up again. You know, several times we went through that process until finally he submitted. He yielded. He surrendered. He just let himself go limp, and I put him down, and he let me pet him. From that moment on, he was my dog. I was his master. Never again did we see that dog out of control. He had chosen to submit, to yield to humble himself before me. And that's what Peter is saying. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Surrender, submit, yield, quit fighting him. It's a total giving of yourself to him. And so in this context, he says, take up the apron of being a servant. It's one of the best ways of learning humility is to take up that apron of being a servant. And he says, the result is he will lift you up he will promote you, humble yourself, and you and God are going to get along just fine. 
Continue in your pride, and you'll find God opposing you. Now, you might be saying, well, this makes me a little bit afraid. Our human nature is always fearful of letting go of control, of humbling ourselves. And Peter gives us an answer to that. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You can yield, you can humble yourself safely. Because the one you're humbling yourself before cares for you. God is not opposing your pride out of maliciousness. He's doing it because he loves you. Opposing your pride is the best thing that he can do for you. He's doing it out of love. And as he works this process out in your life, you can give yourself over to him. You can give all your fears and anxieties over to him because he cares for you. So as we close here, I want to just go back to the idea of humility. One church asks this question, are you wearing a bib or an apron? The idea, infants wear bibs. They're self-centered, they want to be fed, they want to be served. And the idea is that we're either wearing the bib, we want to be served, or we're humble and we were wearing the apron. A few years ago, a church consultant surveyed thousands of American churchgoers, and they asked them, what do you think the church exists for? And 88% responded that they thought the church existed to meet their needs and the needs of their family. And so according to the results of that survey, 88% were wearing the bib when they came to church. The church is there to serve me. And this morning, Peter's challenged us to humble ourselves, to put on this servant's apron and be the servant. So which are you wearing this morning? The bib or the apron? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can safely humble ourselves to you, to yield to you, to be the servant, to walk in humility because you care for us. When we do that, you're there to promote us, to lift us up, to build us up. And I pray that you just put that desire in each of our hearts this morning to yield, to submit, to humble ourselves. And that we would follow through on that spirit-prompted desire. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.